Thank you for joining us today at River City Church, a church living in love. If you have a prayer need, would like to speak to a pastor, or have questions about today's message, please email us at info at rivercitysmyrna.com. For more information or to give to the ministries of River City Church, please visit our website at rivercitysmyrna.com. We hope you are encouraged by today's message. God. I'm going to read Psalm 105, 1 through 6. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the people. Sing to him. Sing praises to him. Talk of his wondrous works. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those rejoice who seek the Lord. Seek the Lord in his strength. Seek his face evermore. Remember, remember his marvelous works, which he has done, his wonders and the judgments of his mouth. O seed of Abraham, his servant, your ch your, you children of Jacob, his chosen ones. And I'm going to tag on to that a Philippians verse. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, Whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are a good report, if there is any virtue, if there is any praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Father, we are here. Our bodies are here. But right now, Lord, we take captive every thought and submit it to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. We think of good things, Lord. We set aside our wants. We set aside our needs. We set aside our prayer request. And we position ourselves in a posture of praise. We position ourselves in a posture of praise for what you've done for us. For, for the fact that you are the one true God. For you, you alone are worthy of praise. We tilt our head up. We raise our hands up. And we position ourselves in a posture of praise to welcome you, to honor you in this place. Please stand and join us. So our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth 
as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. Save us from the time of trial and deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours. For the kingdom and the power and the glory are yours. Now and forever and forever. In Christ, almighty King, we lift you up and we thank you. And we thank you and thanksgiving the ability to be grateful is possible, not because this day is perfect or our life is perfect or our world is perfect. Our gratitude is not conditional on that, but we are grateful because you are Emmanuel, God with us. And you are here with us right now. And for that, we are abundantly and profoundly grateful because there is nothing else we need when we are at the end of ourselves. You are with us. And when we are broken, you are with us. And we were in the mountain, you are with us. And in the valley, you are with us. So thank you, Jesus for your presence with us. We do give you all the honor and the glory. Continue to reign in our hearts. Continue to reign in this community. And Lord, we pray that you would reign in Smyrna, in our state, in our country, and throughout this world, that you would reign and you would be the just God that you are in your love and your mercy. And all God's people say, amen. Amen, you can be seated. Welcome to River City Church. Um, I'm excited to be here. I'm about to preach to you guys. I'm going to bring it today. Bring every bit of it, if that's okay with you guys, all of it. I'm just kidding. I'm going to pray with you. Father, we thank you that, well, we just thank you. Um, you're here with us in your presence. And sometimes when you're present, we feel butterflies, and we feel happy and like we can conquer the world. And sometimes when you're present, you ask us tough questions that we try and run from. And sometimes when you're present, we feel like we need to talk before you do because we get nervous and scared. And sometimes when you're present, we realize we've been in a valley with you. And sometimes when you're present, we're on the top of a mountain, and we can conquer everything. Sometimes when you're present, we have to face the injustices in our world and stop running from them. And sometimes when you're present, we just sit in your lap. But in all those scenarios, you're present, and that's what we want. So Jesus, that's Emmanuel, like Sarah prayed, with us, present. And we thank you that today you're with us. Amen? All right. So recently, I've been told multiple times that I have a new tick, all right? My previous tick was, this is lovingly brought to me weekly by my wife. Um, my previous tick was what? My knuckles. Who's noticed that I do my knuckles? Thanks, guys. Okay, now my new tick. Who knows what it is? <laughs> Come on. I'm doing it all. And she was like, if you're a public speaker, you have to work on the things. And I was like, you know what? When you speak, I just notice the good things. 
I do. She's like, you have to stop touching your glasses. <laughs> Literally what she did. And I, I didn't even think much about it when she said it. Just kidding. I, it's hard for me. I, I guess I need a tick. Part of me speaking is needing a tick. If I take them off, I feel like I, can't, I really can't even see out of this eye. I'm going to take them off for a little bit and see what happens. I really fought that battle well, didn't I? Strong male. All right, so we've been in the book of Mark, and we've been preaching through Mark, and I've loved it. We're a little over halfway through it, and so in Mark, we've noticed that there's been a lot of miracles. He's been in the presence of people a lot, doing a lot of things. They've been trying to follow him for reasons he maybe doesn't love, so he tries to funnel people through the signs into the reason why the signs are there. And so last week when we talked about Mark, we talked about how the disciples, three of them were selected to go to the mountain and, and be a part of the transfiguration, which is ridiculous, right? And in this situation, Moses and Elijah show up with Jesus, and it's the best of the law and the best of the prophets, and it's Jesus. And three of them are there. Peter, James, and John are there. And then we also realize that simultaneously while they're there, there are nine disciples who have not been selected to go which is it's awesome. <laughs> that song's going to be in everybody's head. Shut up, Bandit. It's okay. It's all right. No biggie. So I think the way I've always looked at that passage was, man, it'd be great to be transfigured, you know, with Jesus. Those guys are just horrified when that's happening, by the way, drooling, passed out terrified, talking because they're scared. And then the other nine, apparently didn't get selected, but then preaching through it, realizing and reading it, they really did get selected. They got selected to not go there and to go into ministry simultaneously and actually fail at ministry. So that's, they were both selected, and they really didn't even have the info. So you find out when Jesus shows up, oh, this, this kind only comes out through fasting and prayer. They didn't know that. Nobody would have known that. They just didn't do it right. And so three of them are on the top of a mountain, interacting with how afraid of God they are, and nine of them are on the bottom of a mountain failing at ministry, all kind of wrapped in fear. And then now we move into this week, and this is still kind of on their mind. So think about this happening with this on their mind. Think about also these 12 gathering back together and some of the things they would have probably been thinking. Three of them were selected to go to the transfiguration. Nine of them weren't, right? That's... That's, that's probably pretty humbling, right? Like, I can just imagine John, James, and Peter being like, guys, what were y'all doing, what were y'all doing last week? And they're like, well, we had this encounter with a demon, and we weren't able to do anything. And he was like, well, we were the transfigurers. It wasn't as great as it sounded. Like, it wasn't, it wasn't amazing. We saw Moses and Elijah, um, but it, it wasn't awesome. So, and then the other guys being like, well, you're stupid, like, that's, like, how does this play out when they get back together, right? Like, the tension is just lit. And so this starts to happen as they move through. But the context of what's about to happen is Jesus' public ministry is, is coming to a close. And he's going north to the cross. And he's trying to figure out, I have got to get this message written on the disciples' hearts. I've got to do whatever it, it takes to get this message on the disciples. No more crowds. Crowds are going are gonna to die down. 
Now it's my guys, these guys, and I've give, I'm giving them something that they have got to learn to take with them. And so you start hearing a lot of conversation about the cross and the resurrection, and they're clueless to it. They have, they have no idea how to even understand that. And so one of the, I think one of the, the main characteristics about Jesus that I would say is probably is like the essence of Jesus, Jesus concentrate, is humility. And it talks about, for us, New Testament, we look back on the cross, right? But humility, I think, is the mark of true Christianity. There's a lot of other things, right? Power, prestige, right? That's, we laugh at that, but really some people think that power and prestige is what Christianity is about. A public, public spotlight, right? Like a stage. If you're a Christian and God's called you, definitely get a stage because you've got something the whole world needs, right? But humility... I think is what Jesus, and so he starts talking about things that they can't understand because they have no concept for humility. So when he starts talking about the cross, it doesn't even land. That, there's no point where you're like, I get what you're saying. You're going to die on a cross. There's, that doesn't happen, right? And we laugh at that because we're like, guys, guys are idiots, right? They, they probably heard 40 times, I'm going to die and I'm going to resurrect, and there's no way that they understood it. I wonder how many times we have heard the gospel message, legitimately, even like just beautiful versions of it, some terrible versions of it, some really hateful versions of it. But how many times do you think you might have taken in the gospel message through song, through preaching, through video? I would, I would guesstimate I've probably heard the gospel message a thousand times. I've probably heard it so much that I could just walk you through it without even reading anything. Right? Like I imagine that many of you can. And we look at the disciples and we're like, you idiots. He's standing in front of you telling you what he's about to do. We're on the other side of the cross. And it's been told over and over and over again. And we still deal with exactly the same thing. We still want power and prestige. And he still says, this is about humility. And we're like, I don't get it. I'm just going to move on from that because that's definitely not Jesus. So, as Jesus goes towards the cross, the disciples have a conversation about who's greatest. Picture that in your mind before we start. Jesus makes his way north towards the cross, and on his way to the cross, the disciples are on their way to figuring out who's greatest. Right? I love how this comes out at this time. I know for me, humility's not fun. I, I have three kids. They're in public school now. My youngest is Nava, and she's kind of a wild card. She's, I think she's the funniest person in our family, but I think when she gets around people, she, we're realizing she just kind of shells up. Like it's, she just doesn't know what to do. Like she's always kind of walked with her older brother and sister, and they've kind of done things for her. So one day we were like, let's, can we just come have lunch with you at school? And she was like, yeah, that'd be awesome. Yes. And I was like, Nav, you want my daddy to come to school and have lunch with you? And she's like, yeah, come, come to school with me. We go to lunch with her. We go in. Um... She spots us, falls in love with mommy like all over again. Like slow motion, like Ario Speedwagon playing in the background. And I'm in, the, I'm in a lunchroom with a bunch of kindergartners. She looks at me and she's like, you can't sit with me. I'm like, are you, are you kidding me? She's my daughter told me I can't sit with her. I had to go sit at a table by myself in the lunchroom with kindergartners. I felt awful. I was, it was one of the most embarrassing moments of my life. 
I brought Chick-fil-A for her. I've got her Chick-fil-A and my Chick-fil-A. I'm sitting by myself. And all these, I think they're probably making fun of me. Were they making fun of me at the table? No, the kinder punters were not. Okay. I was making fun of them for sure. And it's funny, like, that concept. Truthfully, I understood enough to know my daughter's more important than me being embarrassed right now. I'm not going to have to fight anybody. Calm down. I'm not going to have to beat up a kindergartner. I would have if I needed to, but I didn't have to. So it surfaced. That feeling surfaced in me of humility and what it does. Like, I'm, I've got a kid here. My kid doesn't want me to sit with that. Everybody here is like, this guy's a bad parent. That, guy, that guy's a bad parent. The guy over there cursing really loud, he's a bad parent. I wasn't cursing. So in this story, as we go into Mark chapter 9, they're making a journey, and conversation starts to come out. I'm just going to read it to you, 30 through 32. You can open your Bibles if you have a Bible, the book of Mark in the New Testament. It says, they went on from there and passed through Galilee, and he did not want anyone to know. Just real quick. Again, he's transitioning from crowds to these guys have to get the message. For he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days he will rise. But they did not understand the saying and were afraid to ask. So, basically, he starts his context. Context is the cross, and none of them get it. And at this point, he uses stronger language. He not only says, am I going to die, but he says, I'm about to be delivered. And one of the people who's going to deliver him is with him. So the strongest language possible. They don't get it. They don't understand it. Can you pull up Luke 9, 44? I think I skipped over a few. So jump down a little bit. Let these words sink into your ears. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. Just really quick. Just picture what that looks like. If, if the words of the cross were to sink into your brain. Don't just let yourself pass through that. What would it look like for it to actually saturate your brain? Let this sink in. The Son of Man is about to be delivered and killed. Let it sink in. Didn't sink in. You can go to the next one. 1 Corinthians, I think. 2-2. For I decided to know nothing. This is Paul talking to a community of people, and he's later on down the road trying to figure out what he's going to say. This is what he says. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus and him crucified. The message of humility. This is not specifically the message of power. Not saying that Jesus is not a God of power. I'm saying what he's trying to get into these guys' minds to sink in is the message of humility. So so he asks them. He says this to them, and they're afraid to ask. I know for me, the times when I'm afraid to ask, or like recently when I figured out I had to have glasses before being made fun of about it, that the reason I was having ocular migraines, I learned, was because I didn't, my sight in this eye was bad. But before, I didn't want to go see a doctor because I was afraid they were going to tell me something horrifying. I was afraid, I was actually convinced I had something in my brain. That's just the truth. Like, I, I go from A to Z pretty quickly on scary situations. So I was afraid to go. And so Sarah was like, you just got to go. You just got to get your stuff together and go to the hospital. Just go do it. And I did it, and it ended up being okay. But these guys, Jesus is telling them something, and they're afraid to ask him about it. 
The Son of Man is about to be delivered, and they don't talk. Okay? All right, Jesus, you stay over there. The presence of God, I think, is something we talk about a lot in spirit-filled communities, but the parts of his presence that do things like talk about the things that are destroying us, we don't enjoy as much, right? We'd love to sing our four to five worship songs, but when Jesus is present to say, I'm going to put my finger on this for a moment, we're like, I'm afraid to even figure out what you're trying to do, Jesus. But you're talking about death and stuff, and that's not good. Because our version of you is you on a horse destroying folks. So just keep your distance. Just keep your distance. So what, the next question, 33 through 34, if you pull this up. I'm just going to read this to you. This is where it gets, this is where it gets Jesus' timing related. And And then they came to Capernaum. And when he was in the house, he asked them, hey, well, Hey, what were you guys discussing on the way um, when we were walking? What were you guys discussing? But they kept silent, for on the way they had argued about which one another, about who was greatest, with one another about who was greatest. So Jesus is, just imagine this scene. Jesus is walking there behind probably because they're following him, and they're having conversations about who's greatest, and it's probably things like, who, do you guys remember the transfiguration? Do you all remember who went? Because I forgot. This is Peter talking. Like I forgot who went. It was just last week. But do you guys remember? Oh, it was us three right here. Um, probably some insecurity started to rise, and Jesus on the distance is probably just taking it in. Like, this is such perfect timing. I'm on my way to a cross to die. I don't sense that he is angry with them. I think he's just gathering and collecting. Gathering and collecting. This is what's happening right now. So he asked them, what were you guys arguing about? I know for me... Um, so I have somebody I share the deepest things of my heart with. And recently, one of the deepest things in my heart, every time the Lord tries to put his finger on it, and just say, hey, and the Lord's voice with me is always loving. That might not even be theologically correct, but I'm okay with it right now. The Lord's voice is always, hey, Josh, what's, what's this? And I found out recently one of the things I didn't want to give him was, when I sin, which I do, I have this deep desire to run from him. And in me, it's this desire. It, it appears to me as if it's this almost desire of like, it's like a, I got to punish myself. Like, I catch myself at times saying things to myself like I hate you. I've told you guys that before, when I'm caught in sin. And I found out recently, God's been trying to put his finger on that in me. And so he'll, he'll say, hey, what is this? And I'll turn and I'll be like, you know what, I get it. I totally get it. You stay over there, I'm going to handle this. I've got this. And I put my th- myself through this like process of cleansing or self-hate. And typically it's self-hate with my sin. Typically it's, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm the worst, I'm, con- I'm convicting myself. And there's no Jesus there to, to stand and just feel like I have to punish myself. I don't, I don't know if that's something anybody else struggles with. I imagine some people do. And so the person that helped me see, Jesus has been slowing you down, right? To put his finger on things that he's going to help you with, but you won't. Why? And I have this, like, pride swell up in me, like, well, because I'm going to punish myself, right? Because this is bad. And I feel good about that, even though I feel terrible about myself. And she's like, well, you're just trying to do, you're trying to be Jesus for you. You're telling Jesus you want to be your own Jesus, 
except for you can't be Jesus, so you're just left with it. So she was like, next time it happens, which it, it's sin. So welcome, welcome, to the, welcome to the ball game. Um, next time it happens, face it, whatever it is, agree with it, totally, totally guilty of this. 100% guilty of this. Agree with your enemy, the accuser of the brethren, which we know is our enemy. That's like a, a devil. The devil's like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So he's always casting accusation. It doesn't mean they're not real. You don't be like, that's not real. I didn't do that. You're so silly, devil. That's not what it is, right? That's not what it is. It's looking directly into the devil's face and saying, I'm 100% guilty of that. I 100% did all of it. And then him saying, there's a payment that has to be made. And looking back at me and saying, you have to make the payment. And then me saying, oh, hold up. I forgot to tell you, I have an advocate. And his name is Jesus. And he stands in my place. And every time I take ownership of the thing or the sin or the thing that I've walked into, he is willing to step into my place. And it doesn't matter if you guys think that's true or not, or if they think it's true of you or not. It just matters that we cast our cares upon him in relation to it, and he is faithful and just to do it every time, according to 1 John 1, nine. So in us, we have this desire to own our sin and to make our own payment, which we cannot do, so we live in dread and fear and hiding. We live in hiding, and we don't have to. He's like, I know you're still hiding, but what were you guys arguing about on your way here? Nothing. We're, we were good. We were just talking about you, Jesus. You were like awesome. You did cool. You were doing the coolest stuff. I don't remember other. We might have said some other things, but I don't specifically remember them. But you're so awesome. When you were walking, your calves are like. We love you, Jesus, so much. Okay, so Jesus is like, all right, I get it, I get it, I understand. And Jesus is the next passage is pretty awesome. So thirty-five through thirty-seven. And he sat down and called the twelve. Like, oh, crap. And he said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child and put it in the midst of them. And taking him in his arms, he said to them, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but the one who sent me. So I know for me, when someone asks me to, it can be any of you or any person in my life, they're like, hey, I need to have a sit down with you. Like, it's instant dread. And I do it with my kids every day. Whenever, my, whenever Noah especially does something to me or to mommy that I feel like is disrespectful, I'm literally like, hey, come here. Come sit. I, make, I don't even know why I do it. I think it's because I'm trying to follow Jesus. But it's not really that. Noah, just come sit, buddy. And he's like, Ugh. every time he's like, what, daddy? He won't look at me in the eyes. Like, buddy, sit here. I want you to look at me. I make him look at me because I'm an awesome parent. Look me in the eye. Zeph, eyes. Look me in the eyes. Buddy, I don't do what Jesus does, though. Typically, about half the time, I'm like, do you not see that what you just did was stupid? This is me. I'm 100% honest. Do you not see that what you just did is disrespectful? That's your mommy, and you don't talk to her like that. I don't care what anybody says. I don't care what a show says. You do not talk to her that way. Go out and go to your room. Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus is like, hey, come here. Talk to me about what just happened. He's like smiling like this, I think. Talk, talk to me about what just happened. The only times I do this with my son is when I'm like 
truly in the presence of Jesus. Or after I've done that conversation, I always make my way back into his bedroom and say, oh my gosh, buddy. And I have to do this all the time. I do this every day. I'm really sorry for what I just did to you. I literally do this every day. I am a bad daddy today. I want to be a good daddy. So please forgive me for speaking in that tone. It didn't, it didn't transfer the, the, what's in my heart for you. I'm, I need to grow as well. Please pray for daddy. Is this okay? Can I do this? I'm sorry. And he's like, fine, daddy. You apologize a lot. <laughs> awesome. He literally says that. So, so in this setting, I see Jesus calling them together and saying, something much deeper is happening here than just you guys are having a tiff about who's greatest. Something much deeper is happening. And I need to have a face-to-face with you because you're going to miss the most important thing. What were you talking about? He knew they were talking about who is greatest. They still think the kingdom is about power and force and an ambition to rule, right? The kingdom is about an ambition to serve. And so he grabs a baby. He brings a baby to the party. Like trump card. Here, you guys want to have an argument? I'm bringing a baby to the party. Baby in the center. Then he takes the baby in his lap and he starts talking to them. How you treat this guy. So what does that mean? It's confusing when you read this passage. For this community, about half the babies would die before the age five. So for us, we've come a long way. So for them, for this community, they would have to make decisions for each child about how much of their heart they're actually going to give that child. Because for half of them, it's going to turn out in heartbreak. So half the kids born, that's horrifying, by the way. Half your kids born are not going to make it and so whatever you invested will, will maybe not... Does that make sense? How, how horrible of like a thought process that had to be? For us, what is a child other than just like the best tuning fork for selfishness in the world? Right? Every person who has a child understands instantly that your life is no longer about you. Your life does not belong to you anymore. So every other person who doesn't have kids and is mad at people who have kids for not being able to hang out, you just haven't been a parent yet. And you don't understand, it really is that difficult. It really is that difficult to hang out with people when you have kids. We have friends that are like, y'all should just come hang out. It's like 11 at night. I'm like, are you serious? My kids are three hours in right now. Because your life, if a child is what you're focusing on, is not about you anymore. Every part of your existence changes. So he's saying to them, he's trying to bring about this idea of humility. If you want the kingdom of God, you care for this child, but it's not even about the child. It's about the, it's about the person, the people, the thing that can do nothing for you and might end up leaving you. It's about pouring into those that can do nothing for you that you give your entire life for. The kingdom of God is like this, like a baby that's going to take all of your attention And nobody's going to be clapping for you. Look how awesome you are. Look how awesome Josh is. He's such a good speaker. I make that joke because I'm afraid of that like half the time. Because in my heart, there's still this thing that I've got to be great. Got to be great. And he's like, dude, do you want to be great? Serve the people who need you. There's plenty of guys on big stages, right? Plenty of gals on big stages. How many... Mother Teresa's are walking about. 
If there were tons, we wouldn't just have the stories of Mother Teresa. It would just be... So the call of the gospel to us is to treat everyone like that child. And humility does not mean that you self-deprecate and self-hate. Humility is not, I'll do anything for you you want, because I am available for you, even if your want is abusing me. That is not humility. Humility is a right understanding of yourself that you are not the center of your story. That you are a, a character in the story, and the story is about Jesus, and He provides for you for sure. He will come to your side for sure. He loves you for sure, died for you for sure. But to be Jesus to the world is to treat everyone like this. Can you pull up Matthew 5, 25, 40, please? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. What if Christianity and calling is about giving someone a cup of water? What if Christianity and calling is about making space in a schedule that is about getting ahead and making more money? What if Christianity and calling is not being upset that you haven't been noticed and your gift is not being used correctly? We want to talk about how the world is selfish because the world is selfish. Songs are written about who's the greatest. Mottos are made. All of our favorite people are athletes that do amazing things. I think that maybe that's just me. I mean, our world is built around be great. And if, if it's not working out, just pull up your sleeves and get in there and do better. Like, do it even more. Like, you're not going to give up like every high school coach ever. It's like, you don't stop here. You don't give up. You keep going. You fight, you fight, you fight. And she's like, well, well, I'm going to go down across. So you're probably not going to want to coach me in that. So if we don't understand it through the baby, he gives us one more understanding, and it's through the mouths of his disciples. Verse 38, and we'll be done in a minute. So John said to him, teacher, we saw someone, so this is the jump. Jesus has got a baby. It's like, this is how you treat it to this, okay? So we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop them because that's terrible. So terrible for them to actually be healing people because they were not following us. Just that. We could just stop in that. We're stopping people from casting out demons in your name because they're not following us. Let's say this to Jesus. But Jesus says, do not stop him, for no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able to soon afterward speak evil of me. For the one who is, against, who is not against us is for us. For truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will no, by no means lose his reward. You've got to remember, this, this story happening through someone who's evidently not been following these guys, and they don't really know who it is, comes on the heels of these same disciples being unable to do the, that thing in the context of ministry right before this. So his own disciples just recently were unable to cast out a demon. And now a group of people or a guy that nobody really knows is casting out demons, but they don't follow the disciples. And the other thing that taps into our, our humility, I think maybe the best thing that shows you where you are on the scale of humility is when other people do things well. When someone else does something better than you, especially in our callings, like 
I want to pretend, I don't even want to pretend to you. I want to be as honest as this is possible. This is a daily struggle for me. I literally, when another church does something awesome or another pastor does something awesome, if I do not stop and pray instantly, I can put on fake humility so quick and be like, isn't that awesome what they did? So great. 100 salvations, huh? Amazing. How many baptisms? Oh, you had 78? That's great. This is literally, if you don't want the truth from me, this is the truth. So me sitting down before the Lord and being like, I am completely insecure today. So, so can you maybe help me just for a little bit? And he has to do things like, Josh, you're not a terrible person. Cast your cares upon me. Don't be someone else. Be you. When we start to compare, we lose every bit of our ability to be present where we are. You're either going to lose or win when you compare. Both lead to performing. If I'm comparing with you and I decide, you know what? I think I'm probably better than Jill at that. I'm killing her at this. And then instantly we know pride becomes a fall because she does a lot of things a lot better than me. But if you do that, instantly you know. Crap. If I'm saying a word, the word crap, and it's offending you, I'm really sorry, actually. I'm not trying to be, like, edgy. Um, <laughs> maybe, but if that's maybe my edgy, maybe I'm good. So comparisons. I have, I have this friend when we were in youth ministry. At, I was a part of the Church of God growing up, and it was the biggest church in Cleveland, Tennessee. And this guy was maybe three years younger than me, and he came into the ministry, super good-looking guy, like the best-looking guy. And he had a girlfriend. She was also an amazing-looking person, and they came in, and they were like, I didn't really get to know him super well, but I knew him enough. So fast forward years later, this guy, this is literally what happened to this guy. I start hearing stories about this guy knowing famous people at his church. He has a church in Miami. He married Kanye West and his wife. He has a reality TV show now. I've never seen it, but there's a reality TV show about him. His name's Rich Wilkerson Jr. He'll never listen to this podcast. <laughs> and every time I see anything or hear anything of it, I'm instantly like, like, not long anymore. But I'm like, are you kidding me? I could totally do that. I could totally be super good looking. I could totally, I could absolutely have a TV show. I could absolutely, like, for at least, like, three minutes every time. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa what am I doing? And then I start to try and make this guy the bad guy. Like, he was such a jerk to me. And then I think back to, like, my interactions with him in youth ministry. And the only good ones I had, he was, like, the kindest guy. He's, <laughs> like, such a kind guy. I preached the worst sermon ever. One that my first sermon I ever preached, I literally stopped halfway through because I got so nervous. And I didn't know what to say next. I literally had, I had no fault. It was like midpoint, and I was like, and I just came, I, I literally came down and did this. And he came up to me after that, and he was like, man, that was such a good sermon. He, he was like the only guy that encouraged me. Right? Like, it doesn't even make sense. He's got a television show. He marries Kanye West. Who else has married Kanye West? It's just weird stuff, right? But but the enemy knows exactly where to tap into our comparisons. For you, it's not this guy. For you, it's another mom or another dad or a job that's better or somebody up here singing when, man, have they heard me sing? Has anybody here heard me sing? I think not because I'm ridiculous. That's what you're thinking. Or maybe Josh should be letting me preach right now. Maybe I need to be up here preaching. Or the prayer team, really? That That guy's praying? Really? Did you hear him pray? Have you smelled his breath? That's like a real problem with prayer. We probably want to talk about that at some point. Comparison. 
If you're in the midst of comparison, if you're in the midst of comparison, I'm not challenging you to get out of it, idiot. That's not the challenge. The challenge is Jesus surfaces things at the right time. And in this situation, the comparisons that happen become the exact timing he wants to share with the disciples about humility. Do you find yourself in comparison right now? If you do, don't beat yourself up. Don't self-deprecate. Don't hate yourself. Turn and sit. Jesus is saying, come here for a minute. Hey, come sit with me. Come sit with me. We're going to sit around and grab a baby at some point. Sit. What were you doing? Well, Jesus, I was comparing with a TV preacher. Maybe Josh, is that maybe why you make fun of TV preachers a lot? Maybe. I don't know. I make fun of TV preachers a lot. I probably shouldn't. Josh, what, why were you comparing? Well, because I feel like maybe this guy's farther along and I didn't do as much and I could have done this. And Stop. Stop comparing. Mom, stop comparing yourself with Pinterest moms. Stop comparing your... Facebook moms and Pinterest moms aren't even real. They, you can trace every Facebook mom and Pinterest back, back to account. There's not even a person there. I'm serious. It's scientifically proven. I'm 100% certain of this. All those things are is our best, our best presentation of our best moments. If Facebook was real, we'd just stop having Facebook. It'd be called life, where everybody is everybody. So if you're in the middle of comparison, turn it to Jesus. He could be sharing with you the exact most important thing about your walk with Christ in your life. Does that make sense? So, Isaiah 66, 2, I'm going to read you this. With humility. See, we get the opportunity to humble ourselves, which is a hard thing to do. Or he gets the opportunity to humble us. And I've always been afraid of the spots I'll be humbled in. I've always been afraid. So, just another little bit. If there happens to be some hidden sin in our lives that you know is massive, that's bigger than just like, well, I'm just kind of dabbling. You know what I'm saying? I'm just dabbling. If it's bigger than that and it's growing and growing, I know enough about our enemy to know that he will wait till the exact right time to reveal that. Or you could just turn and face Jesus and be like, here's what's going on. This is really happening. This is really me. This is really my sin. Because if you want to keep it hidden and keep it hidden and keep it hidden, Judas has happened. Things like that happen. So let it be from you to him all these things my hands have made, and so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one whom I will look, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. I want to read you a quote from Barclay. Every economic problem would be solved if men lived for what they could do for others and not for what they could get for themselves. Every political problem would be solved if the ambition of men was not was only to serve the state and not to enhance their own prestige. The divisions and disputes which tear apart the churches, tear the church asunder would for the most part never occur if the only desire of its office bearers and its members was to serve it without caring what position they occupied. When Jesus spoke of the supreme greatness and value of the man whose ambition was to be a servant, he laid down one of the greatest practical truths in all the world. To be a Christian is to be humble. Any other way is not. And so today, if you guys would stand with me, worship if you want to come up. My first plea for you, and I can only say it as strong as I do because I am someone who wants to live in hiding. 
I am someone who would rather carry my own sin and my own stuff because it's probably just too much for him. So my first plea to you is to come out of hiding. Come out of hiding in the presence of Jesus and let him, let him deal with those things. If you feel his finger piercing into your heart, right, like the old sermon, sinners in the hands of an angry God, we've all heard, maybe not all of you if you've been in seminary, I think it's sinners in the hand of a loving God. I think his finger pierces into our hearts always for restoration, always for healing. For the disciples, he sat them down because he wanted to deliver and heal them and make them whole. That was his goal, not to highlight how deficient and stupid they are and how many times they fail all the time. Every chapter, failure, failure, failure. Jesus is always faithful and constant and always asking them to follow. Jesus has his finger on something. Let him deal with it. If you need to partner with someone to walk with you through that, let us pray for you. If that feels like too much for you, that's okay. But if you know he's got his finger on something, he's like, I just want to deal with this. What was that about? Let us pray with you. Secondly, comparisons. Prayer teams, you guys can come up. Comparisons. This is not an easy thing to fix. If you are in the process of comparing yourself to someone or something and you are either winning or losing terribly, it's time to hand that stuff over. In fact, close your eyes. If you can put somebody in your mind that you are just angry with because they are just killing it in whatever they're killing it, we want to pray that God would break your heart in such a way that you would have an ambition to serve them. Not out of self-hate, but out of a right understanding that it's not about winning or losing with this person. My prayer is that you can celebrate them. What if the disciples came to Jesus and said, there's people casting out demons in your name. Can you believe it? It's working. Your message is spreading. It's working. What if you celebrate those around you who are killing it in a good way? Jesus, that we would hear the call that the first shall be last and the last shall be first. That whoever wants to be the greatest must be the servant. And we would not hold so tightly to our callings in Christian ministry. Why am I not being? And we would just set set that at your feet, God. And we would offer somebody a cup of water or an ear for a conversation or time when we don't have it. as they lead in a song for the next few moments, I just ask that you create a space to interact with the Lord and in a few moments we'll close out. So Father, we just say thank you for your presence. Thank you that we're celebrate each other and walk this together. I pray as we go today that we would go where you lead and that we would notice you and that we would be present with you as you are present with us and we would be available for those around us, God. Thank you.
Thank you again for joining us today, and please visit our website at rivercitysmyrna.com.